familiar story to some of you. Verses 30 through 35, let's uh, pick it up in the storyline here that Dr. Luke records for us. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about. All right, let's let's pray together. Lord, Thank you that there is a shelter in a time of storm, and that shelter is God himself. The psalmist writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And so, Lord, we thank you that when uh, physical difficulties come, when financial difficulties come, when relationship difficulties come, that we have a place that we can turn to, and it's um, the word of God And it's God himself and the person of Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Lord, we pray for all these folks that we mentioned today. Lord, and you know all about them. Lord, thank you that you are the healer. Lord, thank you that we have a promise that uh, we're not earthly citizens, but if we know you, our citizenship is in heaven. And uh, that's uh, where we are on that, uh, that journey toward heaven. Thank you for that hope and encouragement that that gives us. Bless us now as we look into your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we're uh, journeying through the book of Acts. And uh, we kind of started this series looking at the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And the last one was Acts chapter 1. And we decided to continue on uh, with uh, our study of the book of Acts. And so uh, let me just give you a little bit of an overview, a reminder that the outline of the book is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And that's the outline of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Through 7, the gospel goes to Jerusalem. Pentecost happens, Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches that great Pentecost sermon. 3,000 believers come into the kingdom in one day. And now the church grows from 120 disciples in the upper room to 3,120. And uh, then we begin to read about as the church spreads, uh, persecution happens. And uh, we read about the first Christian martyr in Acts chapter 6, and Stephen is martyred for his faith in Jesus. And after that, a great persecution broke out against the church, and we're introduced to a man by the name of Saul, who later on comes to know Jesus, and uh, he goes from the chief persecutor of the church to the great great evangelist and writes uh, about half of our New, New Testament Well, as the persecution of believers in Jerusalem happened, Jerusalem became the most dangerous place to be a Christian. So those believers scattered, and they went to Judea and Samaria, and as they went, they shared the gospel. And that's how the church began to grow. And last week, we looked at Acts chapter 8. We were introduced to a man by the name of Philip. 
Remember, he was one of those seven uh, deacons that the, the church chose because they had their Meals on Wheels program, and it, it, it was growing, and they, they needed some more personnel. And so what was their solution? Choose seven men full of wisdom and the Holy Spirit. And uh, Stephen was one of them. Philip was one of them. And uh, so here's, here's Philip, and he's preaching the gospel in Samaria as the gospel begins to spread. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning, and uh, we're going to think about uh, Philip and an encounter that he had in the desert. Uh, but before we do, I want us to think about this concept in the Bible about the sovereignty and the providence of God. You know, there's a couple words in the language of a believer that really we use them, but when we think about what Scripture teaches, perhaps... Um, they shouldn't be a part of our vocabulary. Sometimes we say, well, that just happened by chance. Or I was very fortunate or lucky or unlucky. Or I had an accidental chance meeting. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and understand what the Bible says about God's sovereignty and God's providence, there are no accidents in the life of a believer. Because God is sovereign, that means he is king, he is in control of everything. He's in control of the universe, and he's in control of our individual lives. And so the old saying, and I think it's true, nothing can happen to me today. Nothing good, nothing bad, without first passing through the Father's hand. Without God allowing it. And so there's no such thing as, as luck or chance in our lives because God is orchestrating our lives for our ultimate spiritual good and for God's glory. And this morning we're going to look at a providential encounter that Philip had with a man uh, in the middle of a desert and uh, God orchestrated all of those details. And so let's think about um, our text here, Acts 8. We're going to start in verse 26 with the commission. So here's Philip. He's been preaching the gospel in Samaria. We could say he's had a very successful citywide campaign in Samaria. People are hearing the gospel and they're coming to know Christ. And all of a sudden, Philip gets another commission from the angel of the Lord. It's found in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So all of a sudden, the angel comes and gives an assignment to Philip. I know you're preaching the gospel in Samaria, but I want you to leave there, and I want you to go south on this road, a desert road that leads to Gaza. I think we have a, a map uh, there, and I, hopefully you can, you can kind of see this. It gives a little bit of a uh, geography here. So there's a Jerusalem on about the bottom two-thirds of the screen. And so Philip has gone up to Samaria, and now he gets this commission, I want you to go south, and I want you to go on that desert road, and he's headed toward Gaza. Now Gaza was one of the five uh, chief Philistine cities on the coastline. It was about 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem. Why would God ask Philip to leave a successful citywide campaign in Samaria? To go down to Gaza, the road that leads to Gaza, and it's because there was one individual there that needed to hear the gospel. Notice Philip's response, verse 27. So he started out. 
Philip obeys. He doesn't quite know exactly where he's going. He doesn't ask why. He simply starts out on that desert road leading to uh, Gaza, and that leads us to the providential connection uh, beginning in verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So God tells Philip to leave Samaria, to go on this desert road, this uh, not very populated area. And on his journey, he meets an individual. It's interesting, we're not told his name, but we are told some things about him. He's an Ethiopian. He's from Africa. He's a eunuch. What is a eunuch? Well, it's a man who's been castrated for the purpose of trusted servitude in a royal household. Often a king would castrate his servants to ensure they wouldn't be tempted to engage in sexual activity with others in the palace, primarily the king's harem. And so here's the Ethiopian. He's a eunuch, but it says he's an important official. He's in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. He's like the secretary of treasury. So he's got a high government position He's obviously an important man because he's uh, being chauffeured in a chariot by someone. And it says that he was in Israel. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he's a religious person. He's he's a seeker. He's he's made a journey to to Jerusalem, probably to, to worship in the temple. And not only that, but it says that on his way home, he's reading the Bible. He's reading the Old Testament. He's, he has a scroll open, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. And so here's this providential connection as Philip's going on this desert road. He meets this important official, and the Spirit of God says to, to Philip, go to the chariot. Go near to the chariot. And that leads us to the conversation. Uh, we read verse uh, verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, and he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and notice Philip initiates the discussion. Philip asks him a question. It's a key question. Do you understand what you are reading? Uh, you know, for many people, the Bible can be very confusing. Someone that's not been raised in the church, someone that has not been raised in a Christian home, to open the Bible and to begin reading it can be very, very confusing. Some people begin reading in uh, the beginning of the book of Genesis, and by the time they get to Deuteronomy or Levitic- Leviticus somewhere, they're, they're done. Um, this man's reading Isaiah, and, and he's not quite sure who's Isaiah talking about here in this passage. And so Philip initiates the conversation, and notice what happens. The, the, the Ethiopian um, responds, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So Philip asks, do you understand what you're reading? He says, I need some help here. And he actually invites Philip up into the chariot. And now they're studying and reading 
the prophet Isaiah together. Well, here's the passage of scripture that that, um, he was reading. It's Isaiah chapter 53, and if you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're familiar with Messianic prophecy, if there was one passage in all of the Bible that you would want someone reading from the Old Testament who's seeking uh, a seeker, who's wondering who the Messiah is, if there was one passage you could circle, it would be Isaiah chapter 53. Let me just read a little bit more of Isaiah 53. We, we have a couple uh, verses listed in Dr. Luke's account, but um, here's Isaiah 53. It's called the, the, the suffering servant. It's all about Jesus. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgression. He was pierced or crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the sin or iniquity of us all. Here's the, here's the verses that the, the Ethiopian was readed, reading. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And there, uh, Dr. Luke records uh, Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. That's what the Ethiopian is reading. And now he asks Philip a question. You talk about an open door to share the gospel, open door for evangelism. Uh, doesn't get any more wide open than this. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Who is Isaiah writing about? Himself or someone else? Who is this suffering servant? Who is this one who's going to come to the world and take on him our sin and, and be painfully afflicted and go to death on a cross. And that leads us to then the conversion. Begins in verse 35. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, Dr. Luke doesn't give us all the details, he doesn't give us all the passages that, uh, that Philip went over with the Ethiopian. But it says he started in Isaiah chapter 53, and he began to explain that Isaiah, 700 years ago, was writing about the Messiah, Jesus. And it says that he told him the good news about Jesus. There's no question that Isaiah 53 is referring to the suffering servant, the Messiah, And it says, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my my being baptized? So obviously the Ethiopian, uh, after Philip explained who this was all about, came to faith in the Messiah. And they're traveling along that deserted road. And he sees some water. And he says, hey, I want to be baptized. Now, perhaps Philip gave him some information about baptism. Kind of read between the lines here. And it says, and he gave orders, the Ethiopian did, to stop the chariot. 
Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. We had the privilege last Sunday of seeing some folks follow the Lord in, in baptism. So the Ethiopian makes a profession of faith. He's immediately baptized. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Philip's, Philip's gone now. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I, I, I love that, that uh, the Ethiopian's life was changed. And uh, he's come to faith in Christ. He's followed the Lord in baptism. And he's experiencing joy in his life. Because obedience brings joy in our lives. But what happened to Philip? It says, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus. That's Ashdod. That's another one of those um, uh, Philistine cities. And he traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So uh, God takes Philip away from the Ethiopian. He ends up in Ashdod and he goes up the coast and he's preaching the gospel to all the cities on that coastline until he reaches Caesarea. Well, that's the story of Philip, that God uh, took him from Samaria to a deserted desert road because there was one person there that needed to hear the good news. This morning, we're going to just think about some life lessons and uh, principles that we can learn from Acts chapter 8 in this passage, uh, and specifically as they relate to evangelism and sharing the gospel. So let's look at the first one. Uh, the first one is this. It's, it's the obedience principle. The obedience principle. So when we read this story, the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and tells him to go south, to go to a road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. We read in the ver verse 20, <clears throat> 27, so he started out on his way. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it, and Philip obeys. Isn't it interesting when, when God speaks to Philip through the Spirit, Philip doesn't say, well, let me think about that. Maybe I need to pray about that. No, Philip obeys immediately. He's a contrast to Jonah in the Old Testament. We know Jonah's story. God came to him and gave him some instructions, and Jonah went the other direction. The obedience principle. And so Philip obeys God's commands, God's commission, and it reminds us that God's given us a commission as well, hasn't he? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, take the gospel to the whole world. The great commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples, what? Of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what's our commission? What's part of our purpose as a church? It's to get the gospel to the ends of the world. It's to get the gospel to the ends of the world. We not only do that through supporting 10 or 11 missionary families, but where does the gospel, the good news starts? It starts right where we live, doesn't it? And so uh, Paul says, hey, we are, um, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're official representatives of the kingdom and what's our message? Be reconciled to God. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that 
Here's the good news. In him, when we put our faith in Christ, we become what? The righteousness of God. In other words, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are positionally, legally justified. God looks at us in Christ and he sees us just as if we've never sinned because Jesus paid it all. That's why the gospel is called the good news. So Philip, Philip obeys he, and he sets a, a pattern of obedience for our life. Now, the second principle is the individual principle. It's the importance of one individual. God calls Philip from a successful citywide evangelistic campaign where perhaps many people are coming to Christ, and he says, go on this desert road. Why? Because there's one person there that needs to hear the gospel. Jesus modeled this in his ministry, didn't he? Oftentimes he met one-on-one with people. Nicodemus, that nighttime meeting, He's meeting, he's, he's interacting with the, with the woman at the well and he, he, he restores her and, and Jesus took time one-on-one with people because every person on the planet is created in the image of God. Every person has a soul that will live for all of eternity, either in a place called heaven or in a place of condemnation called hell. With C.S. Lewis that said, there are no ordinary people You have never talked to a mere mortal because God has created us with with a soul that will live forever. The importance of one. Perhaps the most familiar verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son. I I love to individualize that and and to read that and and put your name or or my name in there, for God so loved the, the individual that he gave his only son. The importance of one. The third principle here is the guidance principle. The guidance principle. Notice what guided Philip's life. We're either living a self-directed life, where we're calling all the shots, or we're living a God-directed life. For a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, the message of Scripture is that he wants, he wants to be in charge. He wants to be the one that's directing our life. And so here is, uh, here is, is Philip. And where does he get guidance? Well, verse 26, an angel of the Lord comes to him and talks to him. In verse uh, 29, the, the Holy Spirit talks to him. Was, was that audible? I don't know for sure. It sounds like it was an audible voice. Does God do that today? He certainly could. We have a completed book of God's revelation. I don't know about you, but I've never heard personally God's audible voice. But he's given us 66 books of uh, instruction uh, for us to read and to know and to obey. And so where do we get our guidance from Uh, How do we live a a God-directed life? Well, right here. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, verse 133. In that same chapter, the psalmist writes these words. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Where do we get guidance? We get guidance from the truth of God's word. 
the unchanging truth of God's word. And while our culture changes drastically, God's word never changes. We get guidance primarily through the scriptures. We get guidance through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that, that lives within us and dwells in us. And we need to be sensitive to the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit takes the Word of God and He brings things to our minds. He brings things to our conscience. My friend that recently passed away, Paul Johnson. Paul Johnson was a very successful businessman in the Detroit area. He lived well into his 90s and he gave millions and millions of dollars to God's work in his lifetime. Paul Johnson uh, said this famous quote, never resist a generous impulse. <laughs> Don't resist, you know, if you get this impulse to do something nice or generous to somebody, don't resist that. Why? That's, that's God's spirit working in us. Never resist a generous impulse. So our guidance comes from scripture. Our guidance comes from the Holy Spirit. Our guidance can also come through counsel. Proverbs says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And I would add godly counselors. There's, there's safety in getting advice from a multitude of people who you can trust and respect and are well-versed in the scriptures. And when we're facing major decisions, boy, we need to be... We need to be, be praying. We get guidance through prayer as well. James 1, 1, 5 says, If anybody lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And so uh, the guidance principle, um, Philip had some perhaps audible voices, but God's given us his book. God's given us the Holy Spirit. God's given us uh, godly people that can help give us uh, counsel to guide our lives. Uh, principle number four, and there's uh, just two more. Um, principle four is the urgency principle. The urgency principle. I get this from verse 29 and 30. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And I love, I love how Dr. Luke records this doesn't say that Philip just kind of, okay, and moseyed his way up. It says Philip ran to that chariot. He, he puts it in high gear and got, the Spirit says, go up to the chariot. And he, he runs because there's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of urgency in the gospel. There's a sense of urgency in sharing the good news. I don't know how many people will go out into eternity while we're sitting here in the for about an hour or so, but I think one person dies every eight seconds in the world. Every eight seconds, another person goes out into eternity. And so there's, a, there's an urgency in, in sharing the, the gospel. And the Apostle Paul talks about two motivations in 2 Corinthians 5 when he talks about sharing the gospel. He says, knowing therefore the, the fear of the Lord... Uh, some translations use the word, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And then later on, Paul says, the love of Christ constrains me, motivates me, compels me to share the gospel. The fear of the Lord, that someday we'll all have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 
but also the love of God motivates him to share the good news. And so there's a sense of urgency in sharing the good news of the gospel. The last principle is is this. It's called the readiness principle. The readiness principle. First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen. This is written to Christians who are uh, suffering for persecution. Uh, the theme of First Peter is pain with a purpose. There's there's some persecution going on in this first century church, and the believers are scattered. And Peter writes to the believers and say, I know you're going through difficulty and pain, but God has a purpose in that. And in 1 Peter 3.15, we read, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, capital L-O-R-D. Always be prepared. What are we to be prepared for? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So Peter says, I want you as followers of Jesus, be ready to give an answer. Uh, the word literally is apologia, an apologetic for the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, I remember reading that verse many, many times as I was growing up in the church and, and um, you know, even in, as a young adult. And I was thinking, you know what, I don't think I've ever had anybody just walk up to me and say... Hey, Ron, uh, can you tell me the reason for the hope that you have in your life? Never happened. When you study the context of 1 Peter 3, it's written in the context of suffering for Jesus. And when you go through difficulties, when you go through hardships, uh, whether it's a physical difficulty, a relational difficulty, whatever difficult circumstance you're facing, and you suffer well because you know God's in control. That gives people attention. And they're going to begin to wonder, uh, how come you're not like freaking out? How come you're not stressed out with this situation? Uh, how, how come when you lose a loved one, you're not grieving like, like other people grieve? As First uh, Thessalonians 4, 3 says, uh, we can grieve, but not like those that don't have hope. And when those questions come, Peter says, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to give the, re- the answer, the hope that you have. And it's an apologia, a defense, uh, an explanation of the gospel. So when the Ethiopian asked Philip, uh, you know, can you explain this to me? Can you explain who's this, who's this prophet talking about? Notice what Philip did not do. Philip didn't say, well, let me, let me call my pastor. He can explain it. <laughs> let me get back to you. No, Philip was ready. He was ready to share the good news of the gospel. I hope um, that you're ready to, to, to share your, your faith. And if someone were to ask you about the good news of the gospel, you'd um, be ready to share um, your faith I've got a, a Bible that I pulled from my office this morning, and uh, it is uh, it has fallen apart because this Bible is 50 years old. And uh, if you look in the front uh, cover of this Bible, uh, this was a gift that I got from my older brother and sister-in-law 
And by high school graduation, 1973. Now you're figuring out my age. <laughs> 50 years ago. I've had this Bible ever since. It's, it's worn, torn, underlined, circled. But one of the things I did as a, as a, as a 17-year-old teenager, and I was um, 17 when I graduated from high school and went off to college, um, I began to be um, concerned about uh, sharing the gospel. And I wanted to be ready to do that. And so there's something called the Romans Road. that uh, You can just take the book of Romans, and there's like five or six verses that you can walk through a person with a person and, and, and share that uh, we're all sinners. Uh, we can't make it to heaven on our own. We need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. So here's what I did. I, I uh, started with, all I had to remember was one verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Next to that, I wrote the next reference to lead someone to Jesus. And I just wrote in my little margin, Romans 5.12. Oh, now I'm going to go to Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. We got a problem. We're all sinners. Next to that, I wrote in my margin, Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Next to that, in the margin, I wrote Romans 5.8, But God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Next to that, I wrote Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I wrote that down 50 years ago as a 17-year-old, because I wanted to be ready if I had the opportunity to lead someone to Jesus. And all I had to do was remember one verse. I can remember Romans 3.23. I've got the rest written down in the margin. And um, God wants us, you and me, because we are his ambassadors, to be ready to share. I'm so glad Philip was ready. And God had prepared the heart of that Ethiopian. And when God prepares the heart of a person and he brings uh, us as uh, willing instruments, uh, the Spirit of God works and brings someone to faith in Jesus. Well, the obedience principle, the individual principle, the guidance principle, the self, uh, not self-directed life, but the spirit-directed life, the urgency principle, the readiness principle. Can I give you a challenge this week? The challenge would be to pray and ask that God would give you an open door to share the good news of the gospel. And uh, maybe you just want to write those verses down from Romans. If, if you need to uh, win by them quickly, if you need me to give them to you after the service, I'd be glad to. And who knows, as we follow God's direction, the Spirit's direction as we obey, um, God wants to use you and me to advance his kingdom, and we need to be ready. Let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this story that reminds us of the importance of one person. And Lord, I thank you that Philip was obedient. Thank you that Philip was sensitive to the Spirit of God directing him in his life. Thank you that Philip was 
willing to initiate a discussion. And thank you that Philip was ready and able to share the good news of the gospel. And so, Lord, uh, give us that, um, that desire, give us that ability. Uh, thank you for the simplicity of the gospel that even a child can understand. In fact, your word says, unless we become like little children, we won't enter into God's kingdom. So thank you for the simplicity of the gospel. Thank you that it's all about Jesus and what he's done. And by faith, putting uh, uh, through grace, putting our, our trust and faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Lord, would you this week help us to be aware of open doors to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And we'll look forward to all that you will do through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.